Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm Alan Seals, and this episode is the final, final episode of the Kite Runner Takeover here on the podcast. It's a throwback way back all the way to the weekend of July 8th, 2022 at BroadwayCon here in New York City. This is the live panel that I hosted right after the Kite Runner began previews, and it's a panel with Eric Sarakian, Salar Nader, and Damian Sands from the show. It's an extraordinary conversation that I'm proud to be able to share with you, which even includes a live tabla demonstration from Salar. And uh, I w- there's actual video footage that I took from this stage that I'll link to in the show notes for this episode. You've got to check that out because it is absolutely incredible to listen to, but to watch it just adds this extra layer of Holy crap, I didn't know people's fingers could move that fast. So you got to check that out. I also encourage you to visit broadwaycon.com and subscribe to their newsletter so that once the 2023 details are announced, you will be the first to know. So as always, leave a rating, review, find me on social media, and everybody please enjoy this special live episode with The Kite Runner. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey everyone, how you doing today? Welcome to day three of BroadwayCon. Yay, that's right. I'm Alan Seals. I am host of the theater podcast with Alan Seals, that's me. And we are hosted on the Broadway Podcast Network. If you don't know what that is, just think Netflix for Broadway podcasts, and there you go. And here we are uh, gonna talk about The Kite Runner, which is one of the most anticipated shows uh, of the next com- uh, upcoming season. I saw it uh, the other day. I saw first preview. It's been great. The audiences have been incredible and it is so powerful. If you're gonna see it, bring your tissues, bring your emotions, cause you can't leave without it, acknowledging all of them. So a little bit about The Kite Runner. It's one of the best loved and most highly acclaimed novels of our time. It's a powerful play of friendship that follows one man's journey to confront his past and find redemption. Afghanistan is, div- is a divided country and two childhood friends are about to be torn apart and it's a, the story takes place at a beautiful afternoon in Kabul and skies are full of excitement and joy of a kite flying tournament, but neither of the boys can foresee the incident which will change their lives forever. Told across two decades and two continents, the kite runner is an unforgettable journey of redemption and forgiveness and shows us that we can all be good again, a message that especially right now is something that is very, very important. So to get the conversation started, please help me welcome Eric Sarakian, Salar Nader, and Damien Sands. Welcome. 
There you go. All right. And so obviously we are going to get into a little uh, musical demonstration later on. So I'm acknowledging the, uh, the dead baby in the room here. There are props that we will use. So let's kick this off. And Damien, you're actually the associate director on the show. And you've been with the show for uh, how many incarnations now? So I've been with the show since 2017. I think this is my fifth or sixth iteration of cast along the way. Uh, and we, with me, I've done uh, productions in the West End, uh, in London, across the UK, a production that went to Dubai, and now here we are on Broadway. And I guess for, for those in the room, uh, an associate director, dive into real quick, touch on what your role is in the overall productions. So I kind of work hand in hand with our director, Giles Croft, uh, doing a lot of the staging work and uh, looking after the production as well. I started as the resident director in the West End. So once we had the production set up, uh, the original creative uh, moved on to other projects. I stayed with that and looked after all of our covers, the general running of the show, and then moving it from city to city every week uh, as well. And this time uh, around as associate, we've been looking at the general makeup of the production with the other creatives and uh, finding occasionally new ways of telling this story here as well. I have so many questions about that, but I want to get in, uh, talk to Eric real quick. Eric, you play both Hassan and Sorab, so you, you play uh, two of the characters, one in Act 1 and one in Act 2. And tell us a little bit about uh, how your characters are connected and and then we'll get into actually the depth of these characters because holy holy cow man like you got to go some places. Um, well, I guess no spoilers. I don't know who's seen the show. Um, I play Hassan, who is Amir's best friend in Act One, and um, Amir grows up and leaves Afghanistan. So. Uh, he says goodbye to Hassan for various reasons, goes to America, comes back to Afghanistan in Act 2, and in Act 2 I play Sorab, who is Hassan's son. Um, both of these characters are 11 years old, um, you are but not. they're a generation apart. <laughs> you are not 11 years old. Um, I am now eight times a week, 11 years old. <laughs> and then uh, Salar, um, this guy here, we are, we are in uh, Tabla Artist Royalty, by the way. Um, I'll, I'll, yes, you, sir. Uh, hailed as Afghanistan's Tabla Virtuoso, Salar is a percussionist, composer, educator, producer, and you've toured, I mean, this guy is the sought after uh, Tabla artist. So how, uh, what is your role in the show? Well, thank you, Alan. It's great to be here. Great to be at Broadway Con. I think I might be the first Afghan male artist to be on Broadway, so that's pretty huge. Um, my relationship goes back pretty far with the author, Khalid Hosseini, the author of the actual book. Um, I performed at his uh, private engagement party, and 15 years later, when I approached him at his book signing, I said, can you sign my book? He's like, Salar, what the hell, you're, you're here? <laughs> He's like, I know you. And I said, well, look, um, if you have an adaptation, film, stage play, please don't forget me when it comes to the music. So when Matthew Spangler began his workshop in 2007, we sat down and worked in the music and percussion parts and whatnot. So it's what, 15, one, two, three, 15 years um, that I've been a part of this and then had a short little break from 2013. And now I get to reunite with my brothers up here and, and do it all over again. So you, you composed all of the music directly with, uh, with the creative team for the play or, or uh, how did the actual composition and the creation of the music come So from? seven productions, Louisville, Arizona, the world premiere in San Jose, I did compose and then also I helped with cultural consulting as well, I was like dancing, playing tabla, doing it all. And I've met with John Gerling now, who's our music director and composer. And so he and I have sat down and we've done new arrangements uh, for this iteration. So it's been an evolution of sorts. And what's been beautiful about this process is everybody, everyone's been so welcoming with new ideas. Um, 
on and off stage, and as you see this big drum here, the Atan, uh, the national Af Afghan dance is something that has never been showcased on stage. And I shared it with both Giles and John back in March during a Nowruz festival at the Getty. And they were like, we have to do this during the, the wedding. So anyways, you'll get to see the spinning dance and the guys do an amazing job. It's incredible the way that uh, the music, I mean, you, you sit downstage off to one side or the other, depending on what act we're in, and you're part of the set. And, and I think the final piece of the scenery if I may say that, because you blend in and, and add that final polish and that final touch to a whole uh, atmosphere mm -hmm. that is created. I think it's very much like the underscore of a film yes. almost, um, because the music is there underpinning everything. It complements the action. It drives it on at various points. And you hear the different tones coming through in that. So sometimes it signifies the mood change before the actors have got there just to set off little alarm bells in the audience's head or so on. And it's a, a brilliant way of switching moods, location as well in an almost effortless way uh, to the eye with this Thank man here doing all the work. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to add a little bit to that. Being an Afghan on stage and listening to all these different moments in Act One, I'm not going to ruin it for you all. Um, I'm also absorbing and feeling every emotion between the audience and the story that's being told on stage. So at least 10 times a night, I'm, I'm crying and, and luckily I'm under like low light. So I'm like, okay, squeeze out another tear and then look this way. And then I have my wiping moments. So um, it's a very unique uh, position I have between both uh, groups. That's interesting. You're, you're like, yeah, you're sort of the bridge between, uh, as the underscoring, like you were saying, Damien, that, that uh, yeah, you're the bridge between the audience and the mood and, the, and all of the, the set, the actors and everything. And so you have to, you have to feel that. I didn't realize that. that yeah, you, you can't so, just shut that button off. That's incredible. Um, I guess there's also the, the other instruments. There's more instruments on stage, which... I've never seen any of them. What's this thing called that, where, that creates the wind? The Schwerbogen. Sh uh, what? The Schwerbogen. Schwerbogen? Yes. And it were, it's a piece of wood with an elastic band on it. It's very simple. And it cuts through the air to create the most unusual, unique sound. And the majority of our cast play those during the show, uh, particularly during the kite tournament. And the rush of wind that you get through that is incredible. It's, if, for those of you who haven't seen it, this is, this is one of my favorite things, the first time they came out. And then I was like, oh, what's that? Or, uh, okay, there's one of them. And then, oh, wait, there's, there's two. And now there, there's like, what, 10 or something? Like everybody's got one at the end. And so you're building, like the underscoring we were talking about, you just build this momentum and you're building this, this feeling. And you can hear it through the whole house. You feel like you're in the middle of a, a, a wide open field with the kites flying all around. And, it's, and with the set and everything else, it's just beautiful. Um, Switching gears a second, Eric, how, how much did you know about the story before taking on these roles? Did you read the book first? Yes, I read the book. Uh, it came out around the time I was actually the age of Hassan and Sorab, the, the characters I'm playing. So I read it then, um, a long time ago. Um, it was hugely impactful. Um, it meant a lot to me and to my family at the time, as it did, I think, to all um, immigrant families and to, I mean, to everybody. It was such a such an important book. Um, I reread it, of course, uh, before my audition, reread it before we started rehearsals. Um, and it, it's a very rich book. I think you get, you get a lot out of each, each time you come back to it, which is why I think for anyone who's, who's read the book and contemplating seeing the show, I think, the, you know, it's a story you can experience many times and, and find, um, new connections with. I want to say too that all three of these men here are making their Broadway debuts, so congratulations. And 
Damien, you said too that what, 17 or so of yeah, the 19? something like 17 out of 19 cast members are making their debut Just with this show. Incredible. And yes, yes, please. And the, I, I love um, one of the other cast members who plays Soraya, Azita, uh, Azita Ganazara. She's the first Afghan woman to make her Broadway debut. And she actually has a wonderful TED Talk that if you, you should Google this and, and just search for Azita's TED Talk. But she's talking about the, uh, the journey she went on as an Afghan uh, woman of Afghan descent to, to create the representation that was lacking in TV and, and theater and, uh, and movies. So I, th this is a, I want to acknowledge that this is an incredible, incredible time when we have so many people of, that are not your traditional heritage making their Broadway debuts, but we've got so, so much farther to go and we can do better, right? So for all of you experiencing this, Personally, like, what does it mean for you to make a Broadway debut as a tabla percussionist? Right, right. Well, before being a tabla percussionist, I'm also uh, born Afghan descent, right? right. So, um, to watch Azita perform and work her mastery on stage, we have to remember that as of August 15th, this last summer, uh, girls' schools, women uh, being out in public in Afghanistan, a lot of that's been shut down. Uh, the, the music school that I teach at called the Afghan National Institute of Music, Anim, it was thriving for the last 18, 19 years. That has been shut down. Uh, music has been banned in Afghanistan. So uh, post-August 15th, I sat there and said, okay, uh, I have a responsibility. I made it out. I'm in California. Let's see what f lands on my lap. And of course, the kite landed. And I said, <laughs> this is the best way to represent the music, the arts, the cultural authenticity of Afghanistan. And so this hits home. I have, my dad has nine brothers and six sisters who never made it out of Afghanistan. So I have about 123 first cousins um, so when I've gone back to Kabul, my grandfather who passed was introducing me to each one and he's like, Abdullah, Khalid, Muhammad. I was like, just stop right there. I'm going to forget everybody's <laughs> name. So, um, and, and they're all back home. So, and they're actually watching all my stories. Every post I do from this show, they're hearting it, liking it. And um, they, they know that there's someone here representing and I will do that until my last breath. And you, your family actually went through the uh, very, very similar situation. The 79. Was it? Your, your father, right, had to leave Afghanistan? So my mom's side were, were direct descendants of the Zahir Shah uh, line of royalty in Afghanistan. Wow. And, and so our family was literally being hunted down by uh, the Russian uh, invasion and occupation of Afghanistan. And so my part of my mom's family was smuggled out through Pakistan. So the tanker scene, oh gosh, I, I didn't want to ruin this, but there's a scene <laughs> that each night I'm sitting watching on stage and I'm like, well, that's my aunt, that's my cousin. That's, uh, and my father made it out on a flight to West Germany at the time, 1979. And I was born in 1981, around the same time Amir and his father fled. So um, this hits home in so many ways. Wow. Yep. Um, Damien, what about you making, making your debut? It's all very surreal, really. Um, there's been so many moments where it's just, is, is this a long extended dream that I am going to wake up from at some point? Um, in one sense, there's so many similarities between um, putting a production on anywhere, but there is an added magic about it being here. And I think it was that first night that we walked out of the theater at 10.30 onto the street and there's the lights of everything just there. And it was like, whoa, this feels, this feels incredibly special. Mm -hmm. And particularly, I think that there are so many people on the production, both in the cast, our technical departments, in the creatives, all making their debuts it feels an enormously special production and a huge privilege to be part of with everyone making that step together. Wow, and Eric, 
your experience too? Is it similar? Yes, um, this uh, it's special on on so many levels. Um, it's special. Uh, I mean, I I grew up falling in love with the theater. I, first in the West End, then on Broadway. I was the little boy in the back of the bus who everyone was listening to Eminem and Madonna, and I was listening to Andrew Lloyd Webber. So to be in a Broadway show is was you know seemed like a, a very distant and. Uh, impossible dream, and uh, to be here it seems surreal. As you said, it's it's special on the level of um, just how personal and close this story is to me and my family's experience, uh, the, the the experience of leaving home. Uh, Amir's story in the play is so close to what my mom experienced in terms of leaving her her home in a time of political upheaval. Um, it's and it's. Uh, special in in because of how much I've I've grown to um, love and and care for this uh, country Afghanistan and its people and its culture through the friends I've made in this cast through the friends I've made in London and New York the Afghan friends who have who've taught me about it the friends I've made in Kabul over the last few months um, and and doing you know doing this play now at a time when um, you know that. Uh, those people uh, feels like, in a lot of ways, um, we're, we're tired of hearing about Afghanistan. You know, it's it's um, yesterday's news. Uh, there's a lot of other things taking up our our time and attention, which, um, you know, that's that's how it goes. Uh, but actually, um, Salar has touched on this. There there are um, a lot of things we should know and, and care about in terms of. Um, especially given our country's involvement with Afghanistan over the last 20 years. So to tell this story, which I think celebrates um, the resilience and the hope and the culture and the humanity and the beauty of, of those people, a lot of whom we've left behind, feels um, really important and special. You, you mentioned, yes. You mentioned now that we're, we're, see, we're seeing Unfortunately, a lot of similarities today as we were 20 years ago when the book was first written. And the, the book, uh, I, I guess the story itself also, we're talking about a lot of the negative things, or not negative, but like the sad parts, but it's, it, it's cathartic. It's a very cathartic story that, uh, I mean, it, it's got, it's about, friendship and family and redemption and overcoming guilt. And I guess, Damien, I wanna start with you when you're approaching putting such a, a, an amazing book with so many levels and so many depths, so much depth, like you start peeling back the layers, of the onion of this book, where does it even begin to get condensed down into a, a slightly longer than two hour stage ad adaptation? I think you always have to be conscious of what is the story you're telling. And a book always has the ability to contain millions and millions of tiny little details. And you want to carry as much of that over to the presentation of the play as possible because it's a very loved piece. But at the same time, you've got to be really critical of it to make sure that you, everything serves the purpose in the play and that it's constantly moving the story forwards rather than getting stuck in any one particular part of it. And I think the words you were just saying is what underpins the whole thing. Whilst this story has such a specific context uh, rooted uh, in a very important culture, at the heart of it, it is a story of very basic human emotions of love, friendship, betrayal, forgiveness, redemption. Uh, just, and that's why I think the story is so relatable to anyone mm. and has a, a timeless appeal to it almost in the way that Shakespeare plays work in the same way. Whilst there is that really specific location incident that happen, the nature of it speaks to everyone. And I think that is why so many people carry it in their hearts. And 
translating the story to the stage, you have to constantly keep that thread of story in your mind and making sure that that's what's coming through at every point. And Salar, were you part of, of crafting, uh, I guess, the, uh, the condensed version, right? In, because when we think about a whole story, it is, it is music, it is atmosphere, it is scenery and lights, and we put it all together, but I think smell and music, right, are those the, most, the two things most tied to memory, right? And obviously we don't have smell-o-vision in Broadway yet, but uh, take note, make it happen, somebody out there. And the music side of things, I think, when, you're, when, you're, when you were approaching how to craft this, how to compose this, were you going back and, and taking moment by moment, were you working with, uh, with a past collaborators, or was it, did you like go into a, a dark room and come out and be like, here you go? Well, that's, that's a big question. We got time. Um, yeah, um, I should mention that my training, my formal training, has been with uh, the celebrated Grammy award-winning master, uh, Zakir Hussain, who we call Ustad Zakir Hussain. For those of you who are um, <clears throat> fusion music fans, uh, he formed the group Shakti with John McLaughlin. And so it's an oral tradition, meaning everything you play on the instrument can be recited. So that's a kite taking off into the sky. So that is played on the instrument. And so studying with him was a huge blessing because we play with a style of music called katak dance. I'm sure you've seen the amazing Bollywood films and Indian films that have the dance and the percussion that go together with them. And what we do is the dancer is telling a story. So in this case, the actors on stage become my dancers and I'm underscoring all of their emotions, movements, temperaments. Um, and sitting down with Matthew, we went through about maybe 300 pages at first. What do you think about this section? What do you think about that section? And we started writing in potential cues. And again, this was about 15 years ago. So having that backing in the oral tradition of tabla language made it quite easy to approach um, the play. So, it, you know, watching movement, watching Amir and Has young Amir and Hassan run across stage, run up to the pomegranate tree. Of course, you have different um, types of rhythms that can underscore that. And what I did particularly was, how can I feature the rhythms that tie in to the tribes that these mm. actors represent? Because they're from different tribes. Pashtun has its own sound and rhythm and melody. Hazarajat and Hazaras have their own sound and melody. How can I marry the two and introduce the sound? And that's, that was the goal. What, was it a lot of experimentation? And, I mean, you were saying you were doing this 15 years ago and then bringing in the cast is, is almost the last part every single time. So when Eric, when you come in and you're given, okay, here's the script, you have to start going through blocking and, and I, well, I guess, speak to the process of, of how you helped put it on its feet for this production, integrating all of the choreography, the lights, the music, and then, you know, the, the set is just something I've never seen before. It's incredible. Well, it's a very well-oiled machine. <laughs> um, Damien has done this show about a million times, and he, um, he, it's very precise, and I think it, it, the precision is part of what makes it work. So we did a lot of drilling um, from the very first day to make you know, certain things like the kite tournament, certain sequences really, really sharp and precise. Um, and then you know, within that very tight structure, we have room to breathe and play and grow into our, into our roles. So it was, um, it was a quick process. It was a very on, your f on our feet from day one process. Um, music came in about halfway through and that was a whole new, I mean, what Salar does is incredible. It's kind of sometimes feels like no acting required because the music carries us so far through the journey of the story. Um, it was it was a layering process, so I say music came in late. You know, we we started with really basic things of movement and choreography and 
added layer upon layer of, of what's going on. So um, it's incredible how well Damien knows this. It's kind of scary, the show. <laughs> he, he, um, it's, it's all in his head, you know, and, and uh, he communicated it to us beautifully, so. So uh, Damien has agreed to recite the entire play for us, right? No, I'm kidding. Um, Eric, Definitely could do that. <laughs> Eric, what did you learn about yourself, Eric, when uh, you're starting to embody these two characters, going through the rehearsal process? Did you take anything out of this and take it home with you? I mean, because there's some, some, pretty th some pretty severe things that happen. Um, yeah, I, I won't necessarily talk about the severe things only because I don't know who's seen it and yes. who might, you know, not want to know yet. Um, the thing about, I, I guess, a really, really rich story or a really rich book, a really rich script, it um, it does connect to you on, on so many levels and I, I think it's taught me a lot about what I really care about, what's really important to me. Um, friendship, first of all, you know, it's it's a story that um, at its core celebrates um, a really beautiful friendship, really close, beautiful friendship between two people. I've learned, you know, through doing that, how blessed I've been to have, you know, beautiful, amazing friends in my life. One of them, Tim, is in, in the house right now. Thanks for coming. Um, uh, I, it's taught me how much, you know, I care about family, and um, it it's kind of... Um, brought me brought me right back to things that happened before I've, I was born that are part of my that are in my blood and DNA hmm. um, I don't know if this is the question was this the question you asked yeah yeah what like how did how did it help you grow like yeah you know you could you could go be Shrek and you take something a little bit different from being Shrek but you know being in this particular production yeah what have, what have you taken away to make you uh, a different person well okay one I'll just say one thing to add then to all of that which is it's been incredibly humbling um, to be to be trusted with with this story especially I, I play um, a character who is Azara they are a, an ethnic minority in Afghanistan so Afghans are underrepresented Hazaras as far as representation goes, don't even exist. Um, I'm not one of these people, but you know, talking to them, interviewing them, learning about them, and being asked uh, then to tell this story, incredibly humbling, um, especially because these people are some of the bravest, you know, most resilient um, people who faced you know, decades and centuries of persecution in their home country. Um, Humbled also by the generosity and the talent of the people I've been surrounded with, two of whom are here. Um, it's to be thrown into this, to be trusted with this role, uh, and to be surrounded by people who are just better than you in every single way. It's, um, you just, it's grateful to, to wake up every morning and, and go to work. So. I want to applaud after everything you say. It's just <laughs> Damien and Solari, both, both of you have, have been through many incarnations and many years with the production, but every time, um, do each of you have something that, that you uncover a little bit more about yourselves or you feel something a little bit differently or are you noticing different things about different scenes depending on what production or who the actor is that's playing? I think the, the wonderful thing about this particular production is this is the first time in a very long time that we've had a completely new cast across the whole thing. Um, normally we have a few returning cast members in certain roles and so on. And we also have had all the original technical creatives here. And the combination of that has allowed us to really look at the play afresh and discover new moments within that. And that might be the feel of a scene the staging of a scene or certain reveals but as Eric says it's such a rich text and we always try to make sure that when we restage it there is an element of freshness in it to keep it alive and not a museum piece as such mm -hmm. but this one really feels like a whole breath of fresh air across the whole board by just talking it through with different people, having the original ideas there and the ability to mix that up a little bit at times, which also means that our wonderful company can invest into the story as well 
um, and it becomes a really shared experience with it all. Do you have anything? Uh, no, absolutely. Um, kind of echoing the same sentiment as Damien. Each time I approach uh, the, each performance, I come from an improvisational tradition, so and play with a lot of jazz musicians. Um, Stanley Clark, in particular, I belong to his band, so we tour quite a bit. And every night on stage, it could be the same piece, but it's performed differently because you woke up with a different mood that day. You maybe had a good breakfast, maybe not. Wheaties, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and and so. Maybe Damien can cover his ears, but I to keep things fresh, I switch things up a little bit each night. <gasps> and there, there's a pre-show thing I do, and there there's small details that keep me on my toes and also the story fresh. And um, this iteration, I literally feel like I've met my long-lost brothers and sisters in this cast, and it really feels that way. It feels like. I'm with family and, and they're totally fine with me expressing my art in whatever way I'd like. So, um, yeah. I love, I love that. I love that it, it, it takes a chosen family to help accentuate, realize more about your, your given family, mm -hmm. right? There's so much, so much depth in here. I actually, I'm wearing socks with my kids' faces on them right now because I wanted to bring my, my family with me. The show, means so much around all of this and, and the sacrifice that family gives for one another, but also for true friendship. And it sounds like you and Tim, Tim, wherever you are, uh, are, are that kind of friendship, right? And I hope everybody out here has, has friends like that. And when you go see Kite Runner, the Kite Runner, remember that friend, remember that family, and take that moment with you. because uh, It's so important to appreciate what you've got. I, I absolutely, I absolutely love that. So, um, there is a a cultural advisor on the show, and uh, Damien, uh, speak to that, speak to that a little bit. Like, what's the role of the cultural advisor? So, um, Hamara has been with the show for a long time. This is the first time that she's been able to be a specific part of it, and it really involved in the discussion and very present in rehearsals as well. And you can see her influence running throughout the whole production, uh, whether that is down to giving it um, some authenticity through um, the specific prop that, might, that should be used, uh, or uh, playing a part in the design or the mood of a thing, or working with our actors on how an Afghan would greet another one uh, in a particular context and so on. Um, and having her with us is wonderful because she really understands the dramatic nature of it and the need to become something to, uh, that is very rooted in story whilst at the same time providing us all with that level of authenticity that really matters because this is an important story to tell. Um, we want to tell it correctly and in a way that honours the community, the story, um, and having her with us is really integral to that. I, think you would agree. Oh, absolutely. We've had um, Afghan American members from the New York community who've come out each night, 20, 30 each night, and I see their reposts, and all of their reposts comment on a lot of the bits and pieces that Homaira also helped with, which was uh, the wedding scene, mm. the Atan scene, um, and the body language, the Farsi and Dari that's spoken on stage and making sure that it's pronounced in such a way where it lands. And those audience members, I hear them at the top of the show, like, uh-huh, okay, cool, this is great. We're like, we have the, some language in here as well. So um, it, it, she's been incredible. She's a superstar. And I think the wonderful thing about this show, which I have seen all over the world, wherever we do it, is that it brings in an, a level of audience that are not typical theatre-goers. Right. If you look around the auditorium, there are so many uh, people from different cultures, um, at backgrounds, all sitting to watch this show. And you want the show to speak to them uh, as well. And having Hamira with us is, is allowing that in a really great way so that people see their cultures recognised on stage.
Is there anything that any of the three of you uh, were taught or, or realized that maybe you learned or, or conceptualized incorrectly that she helped you uh, put into an actual proper context? Oh, no. Um, she's just the best. I mean, she picks up everything. Uh, I've, I've been learning Dari, and she practices with me regularly. She corrects me on my pronunciation. Um, uh, she, she has the, the coolest website with so much information about <laughs> Afghanistan, including the best recipes. And uh, one thing she has corrected me a lot on is my Afghan cooking. I've been, um, every, week, every week I try out a new recipe and she says, you know, uh, looks okay, but your dough on the bolani looked a little bit uh, uneven or something. So um, I, her, her passion and dedication is amazing. She's the kindest person. And I think it's infused the production with a lot of authenticity and also love. What's the website? Give that a quick plug. Um, HamiraGilzai.com, I think. And there's a, there's a link on there for recipes. They are absolutely delicious. I, I highly recommend Kabuli Palau. That's Afghanistan's national dish. It's very easy to make. It's like rice with um, raisins and carrots and chicken. And it's absolutely delicious. And I made, I made a stew, like a chicken stew with um, apricots uh, last, last Sunday. It was uh, to die for. So, <laughs> My favorite thing that has stayed with me all the way through that she said is that um, Afghans judge the success of a wedding and their enjoyment on how much tea is served and I just <laughs> love that concept of it that's a is, is that from like British influence is, or I, I'm making a, a complete assumption here I don't know because we, we love our green tea yeah? and black tea and chai I mean we will sit for about four hours during the goodbye. The goodbye starts at about like 9.30 and it ends at like 2.30 because they're like, another story. And another, <laughs> okay, more chai. So um, yeah, it's a long lasting tradition. All right, well, um, I'm gonna switch uh, soon to some audience questions. So think of any if you wanna ask them, um, but to get us transition, would you mind giving us the little uh, tablet demonstration here? Who's ready for a little taste? Yes. Okay. Just gonna mosey on over here. So we don't play uh, traditionally as respect to the stage uh, and our instrument, we always remove our shoes before we approach the instrument. Um, and I think what I'd like to do is before I play the tabla, I want to integrate the audience into an atan dance. So I'm gonna play this drum, which is called the atan dole. And I'm gonna show you a very simple move. I know it's early in the morning, but let's get that blood flowing. You can all rise slowly, please join me on this. And I'm gonna give you a downbeat and how to clap to this. Do you mind holding this? Oh, sure. So very simple. The rhythm I'm gonna play is just go like this. So, claps, wave, 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 wave. Keep that going while I put the drum on. There you go. <laughs> so that was your first Atan. Yay. Yay! Thank you so much. Normally that happens at the end of a wedding, so. So the tabla, as I mentioned, has its own language. Each stroke that is played has a corresponding finger assignment like the piano. And so the technique it's played with is also more piano. Can you see over the speaker over here? Should I move back a little? Can everybody see? Okay, great. And I think I have a track. Uh, you don't have to play the track yet. 
but I'm just going to give you the strokes real quick and then I'm going to play them. So, da. Da. Tin. Theta. Da ge ge. Da ge te te kita. Kita taka te te kita. Da da kita taka. Da kita kita kita. Da kita kita kita. Tere kita kita tere kita. Tere na kita kita tere kita. something I play the first moment when the kids are playing on stage, young Amir and young Hassan. Tabla tradition is a 400-year-old tradition. And so we have fixed compositions we play in solo recitals. Solo recitals can last two hours long. Um, just tabla information. But I also mixed the tabla into hip-hop, jazz, country music, classical, you name it. So there's a track up here that I'm going to play with for a minute and a half, and you can get a little taste of that as well. The track, please. to come to the Kite Runner on Broadway. Thank you. That was incredible. I, I was recording. Should I just stay right here? Sure. Yeah. So if you have questions, please. Uh, Any come to chai the out there? Some tea? No. Yeah. Anybody have some tea? We can have a wedding if anybody wants to get married. Uh, no. Yes. So come up to the mic and yeah, I'll take the first question. Hi, hello. It's a wonderful show. It's very powerful and brings a lot of emotions because I think everyone can relate to a lot of the things that happen in different countries, but the story goes on and on. I think having Farsi on stage uh, brings a lot of authenticity to the story being told. I'm just curious to know because I saw that it integrates very well on how it's treated and how we, that we don't speak Farsi, how we can understand the story. Do the actors actually speak Farsi or is it more phonetical? Do the actors actively speak Farsi? Um, some, of, some of us do. Uh, uh, maybe half the cast does. Chutur asti. Um, tashakor. you say, how are you? Uh, I, I didn't before I started playing, um, before I started working on this show, but I, I took lessons with a teacher in Kabul. Um, I'm still taking lessons because I've enjoyed it so much. And um, people like Salar and Humaira have helped me practice. And 
Salar and I share dressing rooms, uh, and so a Amir and I and Salar are in a dressing room, and we always practice our lines in front of him, and he helps us out. So when I first met Eric, I said, "Your Farsi and Dari is so good. I'm only going to speak Farsi to you." So in passing, every day, Chaturasi, Khubasti, and it was like kind of catching him off guard, but then, you know, now we have a nice, uh, you know, 20 to 25 words under, the, under our belt. <laughs> More than that. More than that. <laughs> and there are some scenes played entirely in Farsi that, near the beginning it, of yep. the show, yeah. It's specifically there to, to give that sort of, we are telling the story here, and here is exactly what that sounds like before it moves into English. And I have to admit that I really felt great not having to have like subtitles as you know that sometimes they try to do that. Yes, it, it helped with the story, but I think it's beautifully done. So congratulations on the wonderful show and uh, your music got me shields all night. <laughs> so it was amazing. And the um, sound with the wind, whatever it's called, I don't know the word exactly. It, it was incredible. So a lot of success. Thank you. Yeah, I want to add to that. Because uh, you were, uh, he was, he was asking sort of too. Um, how, how, how is it staged, and how it, was it a conscious choice to present it in a way where even though we may not speak the language because they're not speaking English, how do we know what they're saying? It's all about the the mood and the the physicality. Like in life, we can tell so much about what someone is saying without listening to them by the body language involved. And with those scenes in particular, it's about really driving that through so that, that everything remains crystal clear. The, those scenes in the opening are, are very physical uh, in their presentation to allow every member of the audience to understand. They may not uh, understand exactly what is being saying, but they can tell the story from what's going on. Yeah. And I have to admit that I really uh, appreciate when you give us credit as an audience that we can think about things and interpret things, not just have to have it literally on your face. So thank you for that. <laughs> Agreed. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. I work at Manhattan Theatre Club, and you rehearsed in our studios. Uh, so I passed by you all many times on the eighth floor uh, on 43rd Street. So I wondered if you had any, um, I don't know, special things that happened during the rehearsal process, anything that you take with you into performances now? I mean, I'm sure a lot, but anything specifically? Um, well, there was that one time we went kite flying in Central Park. Did you really? Yeah, that was, that was kind of fun. Wow. Um, there was no wind, and, you know, in order to fly a kite, you need some wind. So uh, we just ran as fast as we possibly could holding a kite, and it kind of flew. Um, but some great photo ops. Um, <laughs> Amir and I somehow or other found a lot of time to fool around during rehearsals, which was important for us because that's what our two characters do. So uh, there was that one time uh, we snuck out of rehearsal. They were doing the load-in of the set in our theater, and we, two actors, definitely were not supposed to be there. Um, but Amir said, uh, why don't we just go in and take a look? And I said, I, we can't do that, Amir. That's, there are rules. And he said, I bet you we can. Watch this. And he opened the door, and the door was unlocked. Probably a bad idea. Um, we walked in. We looked at the set. We kind of crept around backstage, checked out the dressing rooms. And then we turned a, a corner, and there was Giles, our director. And it was like seeing dad when you've done something really bad. <laughs> and he was like, what are you doing here? And we're like, we're not here. You didn't see anything. Um, it was a very quick rehearsal process. It was, there, there was a lot to do. The, the days were really long. But we did, we did find some, some times to have fun as well. Do you have anything that, uh, that you take away? I have two moments, I think. Um, the first time was the very first time that we staggered through the show, um, which was the end of week two. Uh, and we just went for it. And because it was so new in everyone's minds and bodies at that point, it was probably the rawest version of the show. And as such, the storytelling was so pure in it. Um, and we got to the final scene and I was really, really emotional from just watching that and also just going sort of, I don't know how this incredible company have done this, that we are at the end of week two staggering the entire show. Um, so that was particularly magical. And then um, 
personally as well, on the morning of our first preview, we had quite a lot of technical things that we wanted to clean up um, to do with the projections, with the lighting, and we had very limited time with the actors that day. So we did an extra tech call that morning where I played every role in the show. Uh, and, <laughs> it was, uh, and it was amazing to actually see the theatre from the actor's perspective and be up, feel the change of lights on you, the projections going around and looking out into the beautiful theatre as well. Um, so that was a particular special memory for me. Get to live your acting dreams. <laughs> Thank you for the question. Yes, next. Hey there. Um, I'm curious. I'm not good at mics. Um, I'm curious, after being in rehearsals and tech and not really having an audience, what was it like the first time you performed for an audience? And how did that potentially change your performance or your feelings or your emotions being on that stage? So it's invited dress. You, did you have one or two invited dress rehearsals? One. One, okay. So I saw it this past Wednesday, which was first preview. So Tuesday you had invited dress, which is the first time then you saw it for an audience. So your question then, what happened in your heads? What were you feeling that first time you were in front of a real audience here in Broadway? Sure. Um, what's beautiful is you have these moments with your audience where you actually don't know if they were supposed to laugh or were they going to cry or applaud. So moments like that for me on stage, because I'm driving, I'm, I'm kind of a vehicle that's in go mode, or also there's certain cues that go off of what I do. And finally seeing that give and take and exchange between audience and performers, that was something very special on our first day. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you guys can... I think the audience is always the final character in the show and it's always the last one that you add in. And so before you go into that moment, there's always such an air of trepidation of how are they going to respond because you have no idea. Um, and what has been lovely about all our audiences since is they've all been ever so slightly different in where they react, uh, how they react, uh, but the response has been so beautiful. What has surprised me here compared to a lot of other productions in locations uh, is how much laughter there is in this piece, which is really lovely because you, this piece needs the lighter moments and having the audience laugh, and sometimes the laughter is huge. I also love it when um, people are watching the show and they don't know the story. Uh, last night, sitting behind me, there was a, a lady who at one particular moment in the show let out the biggest loud noise of surprise and shock. Um, and I love moments like that because it shows how invested everyone is. Um, and at, at the end of all of our shows, um, in fact, every single performance I've ever seen, well over a thousand in different locations, the audience as one rise to their feet. Um, and last night they were like a rock concert almost. It was very, very loud in their reaction. Uh, and so it's always lovely to have them share the story with us. Yeah, they've been very generous, our audiences. Um, we're still figuring it out. That's kind of what previews is about, is, is the dance with the audience, learning to breathe with them, learning how certain moments might um, be played depending on what's understood, what's too slow, what's too fast. Um, and, you know, Damien and Giles give us that feedback as well. Uh, one thing about having audiences, it's going back to something I said earlier, it's part of what makes this such a humbling, humbling experience because um, in, in meeting some people on the street, you know, afterwards, you realize how, how much this book means to, to so many people across so many different walks of life. Uh, yesterday, I, I met a, a group of people who had traveled from Maryland from the, for the day just to see the show because it's their favorite book. And one of them had done humanitarian work in Afghanistan. Uh, the night before, I remember coming out and seeing a woman who uh, had lived in, from, from Kabul who was just like sobbing because this was her story and it meant so much to her. So uh, you never know who's coming and, and to, to share it with people who um, it, it means so much to, again, it's, it's such a privilege and it, yeah, it means so much, so. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, everybody, please go see The Kite Runner on, on Broadway. It is incredible. And I want to thank Eric Soraki and Salar Nader and Damien Sands for sharing the stage, sharing your time with us today. Thank you so much. And Salar, you speak, you seem to speak in instrument. Could you say, uh, could you play, um, thank you for coming. We enjoyed being with you today. Say that one more time. Thank you for coming. We're glad you were here today. Each part. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. We're glad you were here today. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Enjoy Broadway Con! Breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.